Luke chapter 24, verse number 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed, there about them, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Now, if you would, turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 1, and I'll meet you there in just a little bit. But let me just chat with you for a few moments to sort of set the stage, as it were, for the message this morning. I don't think it comes as any shocking news to anyone that I say that life is a, is a mystery. It's something that, you know, from from the beginning to the end that we can't quite figure out. And so there's a lot of confusion about everything related to life. And so we, we all have our questions. But to make matters worse is that things are always changing. Uh, we're shifting from one deduction to another one. And so after a while, at least people wondering, can I really be sure about anything and what we need is a rock-solid foundation, something that's sure, something that is unchanging, something, you know, that we can depend upon. And it ought to be obvious by now, after all of these years of human history, it should be obvious to us that we've got to look somewhere outside of ourselves to find the answer. Because if we could gather up all of the brightest, most intelligent, well-educated people in the world and get all of them together in a think tank, they could never come up with the answers. And as Christians, naturally, we point the world to Christ. You know, we make no bones about it whenever he say, we say that He is the answer, that He has the answers. And um, we make claims, you know, the quotations from him that astonishes the world. And they scratch their head wondering, can all of this really be true? Because you have to confess his claims are radical and they feel like, you know, I'm justified in demanding some evidence. You know, you Christians make all of these claims that where is the evidence? Well, the good news is that God has graciously granted their request. He has given the world irrefutable evidence. And there's several factors related to that. We think, for example, about the virgin birth of Christ. I mean, you have to admit that's something you don't see every day. Something I've never heard of other than Christ. And the Lord said, look, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you some evidence that, that this is the Messiah. And then there's the testimony of his virtuous life. 
There's never been anyone lived such a life of of perfection as he did. There are the verbal declarations he made. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And on and on. There are the various miracles that he worked. No one has ever done the things that Jesus did. There's the vicarious death. If that isn't evidence of God's love and concern, I don't know what is. That He willingly died on the cross for all men. But then, of all of the evidences that God has given, the one that that bears testimony to Him, the one that God Himself used as proof, is found here in Romans 1 and verse number 4 where it says that he was declared to be the Son of God with power. Hang on those words. Don't forget that. He was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness. Notice, by the resurrection from the dead. Now, the Lord could have used any of those things that I mentioned. He could have said, you know, uh, you know, in, in in a measure that his virgin birth gave evidence of that, or you know, his virtuous life, and so on and so forth. But the Lord uses the victorious resurrection of Christ as the evidence that He is who He claimed that He was. So, in the resurrection of Christ, we see God's affirmation. That, that Christ is who He claimed to be. We see not only that, but we see God's acceptance of His sacrifice. This was the evidence that He sacrificed His life and the fact that I've raised Him up from the grave is evidence that I accept that as the atonement for sin. In other words, you could say that the resurrection is God's amen to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's assurance for our doubtful minds and our troubled heart. It is God's answer to all of man's questions. Over the last several weeks on Sunday morning, I've been preaching about life's greatest things. We've talked about life's greatest pleasure, life's greatest treasure, life's greatest commandment, life's greatest question, life's greatest obstacle. We talked about that last week, which is unbelief. Well, today we're talking about life's greatest assurance. Of all of the things that God has done, of all of the evidences that God has given, the resurrection stands head and shoulders above everything, assuring us that He has given us indeed the truth, what we can depend upon, assurance. In chapter 4 of the book of Romans, just turn over a few pages, if you would. And here in Romans chapter number 4, we find the Lord speaking in regards to our salvation. And it says, verse 25, that He was delivered, notice, for our offenses, raised again for our justification. In other words, and you'll remember that the Apostle Paul gave us a description of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He gave us the elements of the gospel. He spoke, you know, about the fact, you know, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again, right? But the capstone of all of that is the resurrection of Christ. Had he, had he not been raised from the grave, 
everything else would have been in vain and we would be left without any hope whatsoever. The gospel could not exist without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in light of those facts this morning on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to call your attention to three things about the resurrection, the reality of it. Notice back in Luke 24 and verse 34, it says, The Lord is risen indeed. That word indeed means really. In other words, it's not an hallucination like some claim. There are those that say that the disciples just hallucinated. You know, they had this great desire that he would be raised from the grave and they hallucinated and, and, and began to believe that. Others say that it was a hoax. Just, you know, they made this all up. It's just a big hoax. Fake news, you might say. Yeah. Others say, well, it was just really a misunderstanding. But the fact of the matter is, it actually happen. And we have all of this evidence. In fact, we have the testimony of all of the witnesses that saw the risen Lord. Keep in mind that it, it, that when it appeared that Satan had won the battle, I mean, the demons in hell must have clapped their hands with glee when Jesus hung on the cross and when they buried him in the grave. From all outward appearance, it seemed like that Satan had won. Everything seemed to be lost. There appeared to be no hope. The resurrection happened whenever it seemed like that it was impossible. It was unexpected. Even some of his followers doubted whether he would really not uh, really be raised again from the grave or not. Effort was made to prevent it. They put the stone upon the tomb and posted Roman guards there. They did everything within the power of the Roman government to stop this. And yet, and yet, and yet, the tomb was empty. Amen? Just like Jesus promised. You see, you can't stop God. And to deny the resurrection of Christ is to deny reality. You know, there's some things that are really difficult to, to believe. You, you know, some things that you really can't figure out. But whenever you're walking by faith and God said it, you know, that settles it. Amen? And, and that ought to settle it for us. He is not here. He is risen as He said, just like He promised He would. And He did. But... Not only the reality of it, but we need to understand the reason for it. Because there's a lot of folks that believe in the resurrection that really don't understand the reason for it. They believe it happened, but they don't really understand why. And there are some folks that even though they would admit, yeah, I suppose that it must have happened, does it really make that much difference? And there are people, even some preachers, that have the idea that it's not something that you have to accept as a fact in order to be a child of God. Well, I don't know about you, but it's kind of like calling God a liar, isn't it? Because God said He did, and if we say He don't, we set ourselves at odds with the Word of God itself. So what is the reason? What made it so necessary that after Jesus died for our sins on the cross that it was necessary for Him to be raised from the grave? Well, number one, it declared 
the person of Christ. There in verse 4 of Romans chapter number 1, He was declared to be the Son of God. It proves that He is who He claimed to be. And then not only that, but it delivers us from the penalty of sin. Romans chapter 4 verse 25, that He was raised again for our justification. Amen? To think about being justified in the sight of God. And had there been no resurrection, there could be no justification. Amen? There's no sacrifice that would be acceptable in the sight of God. And so when Christ died on the cross and He arose from the grave, it was like God saying, I accept that for your justification. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, somebody that's been justified doesn't mean that they that they never sinned. It doesn't mean that they deserve better than what they're about to get. It means that in spite of who they are and what they've done, that God brings no indictable charges against them because all of the sin is laid upon the Son. He bore our sin debt for us. But then, it demonstrates the power of God. The power of God. So many times we think about you know, the resurrection and the theology of it. We think about all of the doctrinal issues that are tied together with it. And all of that's well and good. In fact, it is essential to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we sometimes forget is the practical value of the resurrection. Because, you know, people would admit, yes, indeed, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God because of the resurrection. And I believe that I have been delivered from the penalty of sin because of that He died, because that He was raised from the grave. I believe that, but how, how in the world does that relate to my everyday life? How, in other words, whenever you put that theology in shoe leather, what does it look like? How does it affect me? And, and sad to say for some, the doctrine of the resurrection is a doctrine without any practical effect on their life. And that's just not true. And that's why we should always think about the results of the resurrection. In the first place, it's grounds for confidence on our part. You know, as, as I said, people view it in different ways. Some say it's a hallucination. Some say that it's a hoax. Some say, well, it's a historical fact. Others say, well, you know, it, it's a helpful miracle, but actually it's the very heart of the gospel. It's the grounds for our confidence. You know, God has given evidence that we can trust Him. It's not only the grounds for our confidence, but it's the means for our comfort because we can rest in that fact that Christ has provided exactly what God has required for our sins. It's calls for courage. The song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. You know, there's a lot of folks, and some folks here, no doubt, that are going through difficulties in their life. Some folks that are wondering, how in the world am I going to survive this? That might be a physical illness. It might be a domestic issue. It might be a financial disaster. It might be a vocational problem. It could be numerous things. But they're struggling with something, wondering how in the world can God possibly get me through this? And I'm telling you, you have reason 
for courage and confidence based on what God has already done concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't, listen, we don't have to live with the mully grubs 24 hours a day. We don't have to live as though God is dead, mighty sick, or out of town. Because God is here. God is present. He is able and He is willing to do whatever is necessary in our life. And that gives us a reason to celebrate. We celebrate every Sunday, in fact. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday as we gather together. And whenever we realize the reality and the reason and the result of the resurrection, how in the world can we not rejoice? Because no event in all of history can equal the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think of that, when we think of that, we see three things. Number one, God has a purpose. That purpose is to redeem fallen man. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So that includes absolutely everybody on this earth. Every person is sinful. And God has a purpose. That purpose was to send a Redeemer to redeem us from our sins, to deliver us from the judgment that is to come. He has a purpose, but not just a purpose. God also had a plan. That plan was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be terrible for God to have a purpose and say, you know, boy, more than anything, I want to see people saved. I want to see them delivered from a devil's hell. I want to see them gain entrance into heaven. But I don't have any plan to get them here. Thank God he had a plan. And that plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even a plan would not be sufficient if God didn't have power that is unlimited. God not, don't imp not only implemented the plan, God had the power to carry it through. And because of that, Peter says we have a lively, a living hope. Isn't it wonderful to be able to live in hope? Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Death becomes gain. We generally think of it as a horrible, terrible loss, but it's really not. According to the Bible, it is gain. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. You see, because of what Christ did whenever He paid our sin debt, that He was raised from the grave, and when we receive Him as our Lord and Savior, we have this living hope. It's so sad to think about those that have no hope. No hope. And without God, Paul said, in this present evil world. I'm glad that we can live with hope but also with the expectation of help. You know, it's one thing for God to say, you know, I'm going to save you. I'm going to someday, whenever you kick the bucket, I'm going to bring you to heaven. Boy, you'll walk down Hallelujah Avenue on streets of gold, kicking up gold dust under your feet, and it's just going to be so, so wonderful. But I can't do anything for you till you get here. Our God's bigger than that. Now, we don't understand all of the things that God causes or all of the things that God allows. That's what I said. Life is a mystery. We can't figure it out. We don't understand. And no doubt every person here 
at some time or another has experienced something that caused you to say to yourself, why? Why this? Why me? Why now? I, I just don't understand it. Oh, you can quote Romans 8.28. You know exactly what it says. But some way or another, you just can't figure out how this tragedy that you're going through can be of any good. How can it work together for good? Well, we're not supposed to understand all of the reasons. All we need to know is there's a reason. That God has a reason. So whatever it is that we're going through, we can expect help to get us through it. Whenever Paul was struggling, keep that in mind, Paul was struggling. Here he is, the biggest spiritual giant on the face of the earth. Here it is, somebody that loved God. For to me to live is Christ, he said, and he proved that by his manner of life. If anyone ever deserved an exemption, a pass from difficulty, it was Paul. And yet, he said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. We can take a lot of guesses about what that might be. Some say it was poor eyesight, and there's a lot of other ideas of what it was. You remember whenever he was stoned in Lystra and dragged out of the street and left for dead? Whatever it was, he says, the thorn in the flesh. He was afflicted. And three times he besought the Lord. Three times he went to God in prayer. Boy, listen, if anybody had any privilege with God, it ought to have been Paul, don't you think? And God said no. God said no. But God said something else. He said, but my grace will be sufficient. You see, when you've received Christ as your resurrected Savior, the same power that raised Him up from the grave, that same power... Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1. The Spirit that raised Him up from the grave, that same Spirit dwells within you. Amen. Think about that. Think about the potential that the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is living in you. That, that's the only reason you have spiritual life. Because your spirit has been quickened that is made alive by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit is living in you. And the Bible says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That's why we can expect help based on the fact that we know that we have a God who can. A God who can. We know, we know He is a God who can because of what He did. He raised up Jesus from the dead, which means He can raise you up out of the miry pit of sin. Amen? He raised up Jesus from the dead. He can raise you up out of your depression. He raised up Jesus from the dead. He can raise you up out of whatever problem you find yourself in. He is able and He's willing this morning. I think about that old song that says, Hallelujah, what a Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay, and set him free. I will ever tell the story shouting, Glory, 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 hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad I can look back to that very day, that very moment whenever I first placed my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that I can live with this hope 
the hope for tomorrow and the expectancy of help for today. I'm so glad that I can think about my my loved ones and the fact that they have gained that hope also the same way that I did simply by putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, and my Savior can become your Savior here this morning because there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no help without Him. Amen. And the same God that raised up Jesus from the dead wants to raise you up from the condemnation of your sin and set you on the solid rock of God's wonderful promises that never fail. Will you trust Him this morning? I read the story about a fellow that was he was at the zoo and he was watching a, a wildcat whenever the, the attendant came in and he entered into the into the cage area and he had nothing nothing more than a broom in his hand and he was carefully cleaning the floor and and so he's watching this guy and he notices he doesn't have any kind of a weapon or anything to ford off and attack you know, and the wildcat's just laying over there, and he finally gets over to the corner where the wildcat is, and he pokes it with the broom, makes it mad. It's hissing, you know, getting mad, and it moves over to another corner. And so after a while, he remarked to the attendant, he said, Boy, you're certainly a brave man. And the attendant said, Well, he said, No, I ain't brave, and just kept on sweeping. He said, well, then that cat must be tame. And he said, no, sir. He said, he ain't tame and just kept sweeping. He said, well, if you aren't brave and the cat's not tame, then I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. And the guy sort of chuckled and he said, mister, because he's old and he ain't got no teeth. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened on that first Easter Christ pulled the devil's teeth. Amen. He took away his power. Amen. He destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, Satan no longer has the power of death. Because of that, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he delivers those that were in bondage all of their lifetime, in bondage, quote, by the fear of of death. What a horrible place to be, the fear of death. And there are a lot of folks today that have that morbid fear, what is going to happen to me when I die? They try to convince themselves, well, it'll all be over, but something tells them that I might be wrong. You see, they feel that way because God made man with a God-shaped blank in his heart that only he can fill. And you can lie to yourself all you want to. You can say, well, when I die, it'll be just like a dog. I'll just go back to the dust and I won't know anything. But there's something in your heart that tells you that the preacher just might be right. Amen. That there might really be a hell. Amen. There might really be a heaven. And so there's something missing there. And to live every day of your life in bondage to the fear of death. What a wonderful thing to know that Christ made Satan a toothless lion. His power has been stripped from him. And according to Revelation chapter 1, Christ now has the keys of death, hell, and the grave dangling from his side. He's the one in control of all of that. 
and the only one that can save you from a devil's hell. Amen? Would you trust Him this morning? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing here on Easter Sunday of all times for you to come to know the resurrected Savior as your personal Lord and Savior? And you can leave here with the hope of heaven in your heart and with the expectation until I get to heaven, God has promised to help me get through whatever whatever it is that I might have to face. Amen? He said His grace will be sufficient. And the same grace that saves you will keep you and help you through the difficulties of life. But you have to trust Him. Amen? You have to trust Him. What a wonderful privilege it is. And you'll remember that whenever, whenever the women came there to the tomb and they discovered He's not here, He is risen. And the, the command was... Go and tell the others. And I'm so glad for about 53 years now, God's been helping me to go and to tell others. He's not here. He's risen just like He said. Amen. That's the good news. The gospel is Christ. Christ Himself. That's the gospel in a word. And the gospel according to the Bible, is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else on this earth will save your soul other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it all depends on whether you're willing to accept what God has provided or if you reject it. God help you this morning to say yes to Jesus and trust Him. Let's all stand together. Father, I pray that You'll use the truth of Your Word to pierce our hearts today. Lord, may those of us that have been saved, may we, may we rejoice today as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And Lord, for those that are here today that are strangers to Your saving grace, those that, that have never put their trust in Christ, may this be the day that the Holy Spirit would prick their heart and help them to see their needs and draw them Draw them to Calvary that they might trust in the shed blood of the Son of God who loved them and gave Himself for them. And that they can leave here today with joy bells ringing in their heart knowing their sins are forgiven, that heaven is their home. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we